in their faith. And there was a lot they had to endure because they had to endure persecution. They had to endure hardship. And there was always that, that ever-present threat of martyrdom hanging over their heads. I mean, we complain when we have, you know, people make fun of us for reading our Bible or for not partaking in some of the things that they do. They had to worry about being put to death for what they believe and what they taught. So he was teaching them how to endure doing all that. Uh, but, you know, during that time, he wanted to remind them, and it was kind of an encouragement to them, listen, it won't be forever. Eventually, we, the Lord will return, and we will get to, to be with him, and this will all end. And, and he encouraged them also to the fact that he was going to return. And everybody thought that Jesus was going to return immediately. Paul thought that. Peter thought that. If you read through the Scriptures in the New Testament, almost every one of the apostles and the writers believed that Jesus could come at any minute. And he could, and he still can. So they used that to encourage a lot of their readers. So today he's going to finish by encouraging them to finish strong. He's going to tell them, live faithfully and finish strong. And that's the title of today's message. And I can't think of a better time for it because... Um, I feel like the enemy is working harder now than ever. I don't know what you guys think, but when I look around me, when I watch the news, which I try, try not to do, um, it's just every day something crazier than the day before is happening. Uh, we are accepting and doing things in this country that we wouldn't have done a year ago. It just feels like the enemy is really attacking harder than he ever has. And he's really trying to distract us and destroy our faith because he's trying to influence this world uh, to be a world where faith is kind of an afterthought. It's something you do when you have nothing else to do. It's something you do after you accomplish all the important things in life. So as believers, we really need to learn to hold our ground and stick to the game plan we just finished tonight. Now, we're going to jump right in today uh, in verse 10. Now, I know Pastor Nate finished in verse 10 last week, but verse 11 refers back to it, so we're going to start there. So 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It said, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, the day of the Lord, there's a lot of people get confused about that, because it's used kind of several different ways throughout the scripture, but the day of the Lord that he was referring to here was first talking about the rapture. Now, people always ask me, how do you know that? Well, because he said it would come like a thief, or some translations say, maybe your translation says like a thief in the night, Right? And he described it that way because it was going to become it was going to come unexpectedly. Now, whenever you see people that write books or they have television shows or you see them, you know, have podcasts or whatever talking about when the end is coming and they have it figured out, um, the Bible has a word for them: liars. Because no one knows, no one knows when the end of time is going to come, and that's it's unexpected. That's why he calls it like a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord. Uh, is referred to as coming unexpectedly all over the New Testament. I'm not going to take you to every one of those references, but I just want to mention a few, one by Jesus uh, and one by Paul. First, let's look at this one by Jesus. Matthew 24, 36. Jesus said, but of that day and that hour, what? No one knows. You would think that would be enough to keep people from buying the book, wouldn't you? You know, but that, that uh, I don't even know if I should name it. Eh, what the heck. Uh, the Bible Code. Millions of those copies sold, and it was just bunk. I mean, you think this would settle that. Uh, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, the second reference is similar to Paul uh, in First Thessalonians. He said, uh, but of that day and hour, what? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor, uh, nor the Son, but the Father alone. 
Therefore, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. We're just repeating the same thought here, okay? Now, both Paul and Jesus describe the mindset that people would have at the end when the, when the Lord returns. They, they described it so perfectly, actually, that it's kind of sad. Because when you look around, that mindset is prevalent right now. The mindset that they describe people having in the last days when the Lord would return is happening right now. And the days of Noah it said they were marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. It just basically meant that they had no time to think about God. There were more important things going on in their lives than to worry about God. Right? And that's exactly how it is now. The mindset that Paul and Jesus were describing here was one of distraction and misplaced priority. Right? And I see that all the time. When the Lord returns, people are going to be deceived into thinking one of two things. First of all, they're going to think they have plenty of time. Now, I don't know how you were raised. I was raised in, I'm going to say, a challenging church. Um, but they basically taught that you have all kinds of time. You know, when you get old, then start worrying about becoming a believer. And I believe that. And I used to always say, yeah, I'm only, you know, I'm only 16. I'll, I'll wait until I'm 90. I kind of pushed the, you know, the envelope there on the date. But some people will either think that it, they have plenty of time, so they don't even worry about it, or there's even some people that will think it's just a myth and it's not even going to happen, right? And, and both of those school of thought are basically cleverly devised plans of the enemy. He wants people to believe those things. And his plan is working because this kind of thinking is all around us. I mean, it just amazes me how distracted we are by things that would otherwise be harmless, but the enemy uses them to keep us from God. And it, it cracks me up. Things like school, work, those are, there's nothing wrong with those things, but he uses those to consume us. Things like the pursuit of wealth. Here's one that some of you might know. I'm, I'm a little familiar with this one. Our kids' sports. Yeah, has anybody noticed it's become an obsession? Listen, I coach travel sports. I'm, I, I'm not against travel sports. Don't, don't take me wrong. But I swear there are people who their children's sports have become their God. It has become church to them. One of the reasons I got involved in sports ministry is because I saw that coming. Right? But children's sports, can you imagine he's using that? Here's one that might not shock you. Politics. Has anyone noticed how consumed we've all become with politics? I mean, he's using things that you wouldn't think of as being major distractions from God to majorly distract us from God. And what's really disturbing is there used to be a difference between how believers and unbelievers thought, at least a little bit. But I just don't see much of a difference between believers and unbelievers with the level of distraction we're seeing right now. I don't know if you've noticed that, but believers seem to have forgotten that we're supposed to be striving to be like Jesus, not like the world. Yet, we teach our kids that unless they uh, finish wealthy and finish with all the toys and all the, you know, all the possessions, unless they have the status, unless they have the positions and the jobs that matter, they've failed. That's what we teach them. I used to tell my wife, her and I would talk about this when we first had kids, a long time ago, but when we first had kids, we would talk about things like we should make as big a deal about our kids' Sunday school project and junior church project as we do their school project. We should embed it in their minds that when they go to church on Sunday, that's just as important as their school. It's just as important as the career path they're going to choose. But a lot of people don't see it that way. When their children bring them something from junior church or Sunday school, they go, oh, that's nice to that, and they just put it aside. And that breaks my heart when I see that because that is your child grabbing onto the faith that can deliver them from the rest of God. And we just dismiss it. We just dismiss it. I mean, our mindset has blown me away. I mean, people don't realize it is so, so 
important that we don't teach our kids you only win by being successful in the eyes of this world. We're not supposed to be looking like this world. We're supposed to be looking like Jesus. And I just don't feel like that's happening. Now, I'll, I'll deal with a little bit uh, with more of that in a little bit, but I want to move on so I don't take too much time. Uh, but it's also important to notice that when he says a thief in the night, he's not only talking about the rapture. Okay, it's more than just the rapture. Peter didn't intend us to see this and, and think all these things are going to happen immediately when the Lord comes back. Okay, it was more like a time frame he was describing. When he, it, it starts with the rapture. Now I'm going to go through this quickly because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the rapture kicks off all the events that end to the culmination of God's plan. Okay, the rapture leads to the millennial kingdom, which is a thousand year reign. Uh, and then, uh, or the rapture leads to the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, and the seven-year tribulation leads to the thousand-year reign or the millennial kingdom, and then the final judgment or New Jerusalem. Uh, and New Jerusalem is the place that believers are going to spend eternity, what we consider or what we think of as heaven. Now, I'm shocked at how many people don't understand that concept or haven't been taught that concept, so I just want to read real quick in the book of Revelation, because John describes this a little bit in the vision he had. Uh, Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And that's kind of what Peter was describing with the destruction. Uh, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, th the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes, and that's anyone who believes, he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars uh, will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I know that's a lot, and you're thinking, wow, it's, it's like 9 in the morning and you're dropping fire and brimstone on me. But this is really, really important because this is the culmination of God's plan. Now, when you hear that, be honest, do you get a little bit afraid when you hear about the end of time? Now, raise your hand if you get a little bit afraid. Okay, several of you, I get it. And I understand that, I do, because we're always afraid of the unknown or things we don't understand. We're afraid of it, I get it, right? But honestly, we should be looking forward to this day. I am looking forward to this day, and I'll talk about that more in a minute, because I'm excited for the day His plan is complete, when I get to see the end result. Don't you want to know what heaven looks like? How many people want to know? I mean, I want to know. You know what I mean? I know there's going to be Steelers banners everywhere. I know that. You Colts fans, if you see a Colts jersey, you didn't make it. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm going to get emailed to death. It's a joke. It's a joke. But when I read about those things, it inspires me. I'm, I'm excited about it. It gives me hope. But listen, if you have not believed, reading that should make you afraid. It should make you afraid, but it shouldn't make you hopeless because as long as you have breath, that teaching, those verses can inspire you to change. The beautiful thing about God is that all He requires is that we trust Him. Okay, He doesn't require that we prove we're good enough. He doesn't require any of those things. He just requires that we believe, and that can be done in a, in a split second. But if, if you haven't believed, I hope those verses scare you. 
and scare you enough to inspire a change. And I, I believe that's what Peter was trying to instill in their hearts here. But, you know, as, as scary as all this sounds, when you read all this, understand that, that physical death is not the worst thing we can experience because there is life after death for the believing and the unbelieving. See, a lot of people get that wrong. They say there's an afterlife for those who believe. No, there's an afterlife for everybody. Just where are you going to spend it? That's the question. Right, and I've heard this many times, but believers are born twice so they don't have to die once. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, I, I can't remember who originally said that. And whoever said that they originally said it probably stole it from somebody else. But still, it's very important because in John 3, 3, Jesus said, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I had a guy come up to me one time. He said, I'm a Christian. I'm just not the born again type. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I didn't know there was another type. Right? But believers, because we're born again, we're born twice. We only have to experience one death, and that's a physical death. And after that, we enter into life eternal. But unbelievers who are only born once and don't have that spiritual rebirth, they actually have to die twice, and that's one physical and one spiritual death. Okay? And that's the second death that God revealed to John here. And the second death is this. It's being eternally separated from God and being placed in that lake of fire, what we consider uh, hell. And so that's why Peter wanted people to focus on the eternal, not so much on the temporary. He's saying, listen, don't worry about the about the persecution. Don't worry about all the false teachers. Know this, the end is coming, and you need to take this time to make sure that not only are you living right, but that you're trying to reach other people so that they can avoid that second death. And all that brings me back to the reason Peter, you know, included this on his farewell. A lot of people have asked, you know, why would he, this is actually essentially his farewell to them. This is his closing. And in his closing, he talks about the end of all time. And that seems pretty harsh way to close a letter. But because there were so many false teachers going around teaching that, the, that Jesus wasn't going to return, he thought it was really important that they live their life with a spiritual urgency because he knew he wasn't going to return. And when I say spiritual urgency, that means knowing and recognizing he could come back any minute. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but on the, on the, the scale of eschatology, which is a study of end times, uh, but on that scale, there's nothing left to happen before the return of Jesus. Now, a lot of people have read all the books and stuff and, you know, all the, you know, all the things that may not actually be, I'm just going to tell you, they're fiction. A lot of them out there are fiction about the end of time, and they believe it, that, oh, there's going to have to be dragons and, this, you know, the seas are going to part. You know, that stuff happens after. There's nothing left to happen before Jesus returns. He is the next event on the scale of end times. He's going to return, and he's saying people need to live like that. The prophetic timeline is ticking down. You know, the time is already set. People believe that, you know, one day God's just going to get up and go, oh, I think it's time to end it. That's not how it works. The time's set. We're getting closer every day. It's already set. And we need to live with a spiritual urgency, and this is what he was telling us. Basically saying, you don't have time to get sidetracked. You don't have time to let the false teachers get in your head. You've got the Word of God. You've got all you need. You need to live like he could come tomorrow. You need to live like he could come in the next 10 minutes because he can. And that's why he thought it was so important as he closed this. He knew the pressure they were under. He wanted to remember, you know, what was important at that time, and that was focusing on getting as many people in as he could. So in verses 11 through 13, Peter encourages readers to live in anticipation of that return. Look at this, starting in verse 11, back in our main text. It says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. I love that. We'll look at that here in a minute. 
looking forward to and hastening. Now, I don't like that word hastening because in the Greek it doesn't actually translate that way. In the Greek it translates more eagerly awaiting. So looking forward and eagerly awaiting the coming of the day of God because uh, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, I love the way he used the day of the Lord to remind his readers what really matters. I love this. Because he basically said, if you believe that all this is going to burn, why are you putting all your eggs in this basket? If you really think this world is going to come to an end, if you really think that everything you see is going to be burned with intense heat, and the Bible tells us that, if you really believe there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, why aren't you focusing on eternity and focusing less on what's going on here? I love how he did that. He wanted them to think about how they wanted Jesus to find them when he comes back, is basically what he was saying. Have you ever thought about that? What is Jesus going to find you doing when he returns? Think about that for a second. Do you want him to be to find you all consumed with the things of the world? And do you want to find him, uh, do you want him to find you like uh, trying to attain the things that people think makes you successful in the world? Or do you want him to find you being faithful? There's some things I thought about. Do you want God to find you living your faith? Or do you want to find him, do you want him to find you arguing on social media? You know, I, there's a lot of Christians when the Lord comes back, he's going to go, seriously? You're going to be arguing over stupid things on social media. What are you going to say? I was going to delete that. I mean, what are you going to say? You know, and here's the funny thing. He reads your post even if he doesn't come back. That's just a side note. But anyway, you know, is he going to find you doing that? Unfortunately, I think that's probably 70% of people in the world. Is he going to find you doing that? Is he going to find you arguing about denominations? You know, I don't understand why Christian people want to fight with each other. I don't get that. Listen, if you believe that in faith alone, by Christ, in Christ alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, then you know what? We have the most important thing in common. We believe that you have to believe. But there are so many forums. I won't even, this sounds terrible. I'm going to get so many emails. I don't like to join Christian forums. I'm just saying, please don't send me invitations to them because I don't like joining them. Because they're not forums where you uplift each other. They're forums where you argue. And unbelievers look at that and they go, why would we want to believe? They are miserable. All they do is fight and argue. Can you imagine the Lord coming back and finding us debating denominations or judging each other for what we wear and what kind of music we listen to? Just ridiculous. You know, here's the thing. When the Lord comes back, I don't want to seeing me arguing about whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat. I don't want to see him, I don't want him to come back and, and find me, you know, debating about vaccinations. You know, you, I want him to come back and find me sharing the gospel, using what breath I have to lead people to Jesus, to be an example for people. That's what I want him to find me doing. I don't want him to find me trying to elevate my own status. Right? Because this perspective that Peter's trying to tell them is, how do you want Jesus to find you when he returns? And I think it's a great perspective. I think we need to have that perspective still to this day. We need to remember as believers, think about this, when you find yourself being consumed or distracted. Have you ever stopped for a second and said, my gosh, I haven't even read my Bible in three or four days. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever thought to themselves, all of a sudden you have this realization because you're busy and things are going on at school or work or whatever, and you go, I don't remember the last time I prayed without asking for something. I don't remember the last time I shared the gospel. When you're in that situation, you are being consumed by whatever you're doing. And whatever you're doing, even though you may have convinced yourself different, it's not more important than those things. It's not more important than those things. But 
it seems like a lot of times we find ourselves just distracted. Like I said, distracted by politics, distracted by whatever the case may be, the economy, all these things. I had somebody tell me the other day, if they don't get somebody else in the White House or, or in Congress, we're all doomed. I go, really? We're doomed if we don't change who's in the White House. I have an idea. We're doomed if you don't change who's in control of your heart. How's that? Because who's in the White House doesn't really matter if the Lord comes back today, does it? You know, and it's just amazing. We've got to think about these things before we allow ourselves to get so sidetracked. Have you noticed that the world is more stressful than it's ever been? Everything is so fast-paced. I mean, it's almost impossible to not be stressed if you're striving for the things the world tells you to strive for. And we waste so much time striving for things that we can't change. We worry about, about money. We worry about the state of the economy. We worry about all these things that we can't change. And why do we do that? Because we are falling victim to a cleverly devised plan of the enemy. He's slowly pulling our minds off of God and putting them onto things that if we would just trust God, we would realize he's in control of. But instead, we just keep getting sidetracked falling into this trap. See, the enemy knows when we're stressing about this life, we forget about eternal life. He knows that. Right? He knows that, that when we forget about eternal life, our spiritual lives become stagnant. And listen, I'm not saying it hasn't happened to me. It has. There are times when my spiritual life has become stagnant. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to lie. Everybody here has probably been there. Right? And when you find you're stagnant spiritually, you're miserable. And by stagnant, I mean you just don't feel them anymore. You know what I mean? You don't have that desire to read. You're not inspired by the word anymore or by a good Christian song or by, or by a sermon. Nothing inspires you anymore. You're just going through the motions. That's what spirit, being spiritually stagnant looks like. And when we're in that condition, we're useless to Because the whole reason he leaves us here after we believe is to serve him. It could be an example for him. And if we're not doing that, what's our purpose? Peter did not want that for these people. That's why he's being so harsh as he finishes this letter off. Let's move on to verse 14. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, uh, as also in all his letters, speaking uh, speaking in them of these things, in which are some well, contacts are killing me, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and un stable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter was, was basically asking his readers to live godly lives, spotless and blameless. Now when you read that, don't think he's saying sinless. That's not what it meant. That was a reference to not allowing yourself to be assimilated into the world thinking. That's all that meant at the time. If you read through that in the Greek, it was basically saying, keep yourself from becoming like them. Keep yourself in a godly mindset. That's what he was trying to say. Be faithful kind of his way of saying, listen, don't let them keep you from finishing strong. But he was also worried about his readers becoming discouraged. Because he kept telling them the Lord's going to return, the Lord's going to return, but he wasn't. Not yet. And so some of them started questioning because they were really suffering. Have you ever been going through something hard and just find yourself saying, just come back, Jesus, I'm done with that. Anybody ever been there? It's selfish, but we have all been there, haven't we? Where we don't want to deal with anything more, we just want the Lord to come back and get us out of this mess. He was afraid people would think that way. And he was saying, listen, understand something. He's not allowing you to suffer. He's not waiting so you can suffer more. 
He's waiting because he's patient and he wants to give everyone the opportunity to believe. That's why he's waiting. He's saying, so listen, when you endure this, this time frame, realize it's not a time to make you suffer. It's a time to give people an opportunity to believe. And he reminded them that Paul taught the same thing. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. That for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. So Peter wanted to remind him, listen, he's just giving them time to believe and understand that these false teachers are going to exploit that discouragement you have that he hasn't returned. These false teachers are saying, you know how you feel like maybe you're getting slighted? He keeps telling you Jesus is going to come back. Look, you're being martyred, you're being imprisoned, you're having your property taken from you, your family taken from you, you're being enslaved. Where's this Jesus they're talking about? He's not coming. When are you going to understand that? Peter knew that's what the false teachers were saying. So he was saying, listen, don't allow them to take advantage of the situation. God is just giving time for people to believe. Now, there are times, especially recently, there are times that... I just feel like giving up. And I know pastors aren't supposed to say that. We're supposed to act like we never have trouble. But I do. And every other pastor does too. And there are times that the burden on me is so heavy that I feel like I can't get out of bed. More often than you think. And there are times that, that I don't feel like I'm the example I should be. There are times I don't feel like I'm living the light I should. Just like everyone else. And there are also times that I just say, God, would you just come back? I'm tired. I just want to go home. I'm a, everybody close your eyes for a second. Raise your hand if you've ever said, I'm done. Just come and get me. Raise your hand if you've ever thought that. It's okay. You can open your eyes. It's okay. We all feel that way. Some more than others, but we all feel that way. Sometimes I just say, God, would you just get me out of here? Doesn't that make you proud of your pastor that I'm not ready to just check out like that and punch my time clock? You know? But there are times we all feel that way. I get so sick of the persecution. I get so sick of every time I watch a television show, they make the Christian the idiot or the narrow-minded. I get so sick of seeing normal morality perverted and called right. I get so tired of these things, and, it, and it's discouraging. But there are times, this happened to me just the other day. You know, I, you know we've struggled lately. Well, we've lost some people that are very dear to us. And I was praying, and, and sometimes when we're mourning and sometimes when we're suffering, we become really selfish and we forget about the, you know, our position in God's plan. And I was just whining to God. I'm not going to lie. I'd love to tell you I was having a spiritual prayer moment, but I was whining. I was whining to God. And this thought comes over me that, listen, you haven't suffered anything like some others around the world have. And you have the promise of my return. There are a lot of people out there who don't have that. So how about you just trust me and know that I'm coming to get you. And rest in that. It really came over me that I was being selfish and I was ashamed after that. Because, you know, the one thing God has proven to me is He keeps His promises. You know, He changes lives, He resurrects lives, and here I'm whining. But the one thing I know is He always keeps His promises and He promised that He would come and take us back and take us home someday, and I know that's going to happen because He always keeps His promises. And Peter wanted them to make sure that they had that right perspective and didn't fall into feeling sorry for themselves. So let's finish here with uh, his final words, verse 17. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing 
this before him, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Basically saying, don't listen to people who are teaching falsely and you should know the word enough to know that, they're not, that they are teaching falsely. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter's farewell is really direct here, and I love this. One thing, I've said this many times, I relate to Peter. Number one, because I'm always sticking my foot in my mouth and screwing up like him. Uh, but number two, he's really direct. You don't have to guess what he's thinking. Okay, and basically what he's saying here is, listen, be spiritually disciplined. Remember that you have the promise of eternal life. Don't get distracted. And if you want to make sure you stay focused and finish strong, know the Word of God. Believers, it's killing Christianity, the lack of knowledge of the Word of God. It's unbelievable, but it's killing us. The reason there are cults in this country is people don't know the Word of God. The reason there is hopelessness in this country and in this world is because people don't know the Word of God. Listen, whether you're a student, a worker, or retired, the Word of God is the most important commodity you have. If it's not a part of your daily life, you're not living the way God designed you to live. You're not being as spiritually disciplined as, it, as God requires for you to be successful. And this is what Peter finished with. Listen, be disciplined. How is that? Be disciplined by knowing the Word of God, and He'll always direct you. If you don't know the Word of God, if you're not growing in wisdom, you're going to get distracted. You're going to go off the path. Stay distracted. Keep yourself from being distracted. Know the Word of God, and finish strong. Let's stay stay I finish this. I'm going to go ahead and close it. I'm going to ask you to come by your head. Is this your first time? We always like to give an invitation. I don't do the invitations where beg people to come up front. I don't do that. But I do want to pray for you. And if there's someone here not sure where you stand with Christ, or maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you're struggling. I want to pray for you. And I really do. I don't just say that. So if you'd like me to pray for you, just make eye contact and put your head right back down. Bless those people. And I will be praying for you. Bless those people. Because I'm telling you, I, every day when I turn the TV on, I can't imagine another day without the Lord's return. Believers, I'm going to pray for us. I always do. I just feel like we're the last line of defense and I feel like we're failing. And we should be the ones that are most encouraged and we should be the ones that have the greatest message to share and we've become some of Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness. I'm just amazed, God, that you could love someone like me. No one knows how bad I am and how bad I've been. But you do. Yet you love me anyway. Only you and I know how desperate I've become at times. Yet you love me anyway. God, I'm thankful that no one is so low or so far gone that they can't be scooped up with your mighty hands and embracing your love. I'm so thankful for that. But for someone who doesn't know you, Maybe they're confused or they've had a bad church experience, whatever the case may be. Just clear all that out of their mind and remind them that your son came and died innocently on the cross just so they could have eternal life. Not deserve eternal life, just so they could have it simply by believing. If they believe that, I, I just pray they contact us. We'd like to walk with them in their journey. But for those of us who are believers, God, we are so distracted. We allow ourselves to be manipulated by the media and by the world and we're worried about things that don't really matter and not worried enough about the things that do. Put us back on the right track, God. Give us the passion, the zeal, to love you enough to share you with other people. 
to love people enough to want to see them escape the wrath of sin. Give us a heart for the people you died for. Bless us to be faithful. We ask that we leave here, you would keep us safe. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory. So we're here. We ask that you